Welcome to the I'm Done Apologizing podcast, where we're creating a community of women who advocate and empower. I'm Michelle, and I'm so glad you're joining. I'm excited to talk with Anna Pryor, who uses she-they pronouns, as my guest for this week's episode. Anna is a diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor and advocate. Anna has a demonstrated history of her passion advocating for folks with underrepresented identities in her personal and professional spheres. Anna started their career in higher education and moved full-time into DEI work when the opportunity arose to take their dedication to the next level as a diversity advisor at a national accounting firm. Outside of DEI work, Anna loves spending time on Lake Erie with her family and friends and being dog parent to Junie, a Shih Tzu Poodle mix who really runs the prior household. If you're interested in learning more, stick around. Well, Anna, thank you so much for joining me this um, for this episode. I'm really excited to talk with you a little bit more about um, DEI work, especially from a non-binary person's perspective. So let's just jump right in and let's start out with how did you get interested in the topic of DEI work? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm really excited to be here too. Um, I really got started in DEI work. I think just like I've always had a strong sense of justice um, as as kind of a personal value. And when I got to college, um, I started kind of developing and learning about my own queer identities. And that has led me to pursue advocacy for a lot of different marginalized communities through, like when I was in college through my studies and my extracurriculars. Um, I was in American culture studies and a history minor in addition to being an English major. So I spent a lot of time diving into those histories yeah. of like oppression, violence, activism in the U.S., um, especially in regards to marginalized communities. And ever since then, I always have just kind of intertwined it with whatever work I'm doing and whatever spaces I'm in because it's something I care about, um, including now where it's my full-time job, right, which is a goal that I had and I'm really happy to to get to kind of focus on it all the time as opposed to it being just like one part of my job. For sure. Um, But I really think that at its core, DEI is about people and caring about people. And that's just something I always have found really easy to do. I care about people a lot. Um, and I believe that everyone deserves to feel free to live as their most genuine selves. Um, so, you know, I work every day to make this a reality for people within kind of my sphere of influence where I can have an impact. Um, and I know in regards to DEI work, like it's a big topic, right? It's emotionally loaded. We can't mm-hmm. solve every problem in the world overnight, but I think it just makes all the difference to know that someone is fighting for a better world, like with you and for you, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think you're a hundred percent spot on and I feel kind of the weight of DEI work um, a lot of times, which kind of brings me into my next question of, you know, as a woman and maybe just as Michelle, not necessarily as a woman, but I am always looking for how I can be a good ally for other marginalized communities. So could you give some tips on, or your perspective on how women can be that good ally for one another, but also for other marginalized communities? Yeah, for sure. You mentioned it a little bit. Um, I think I have an interesting perspective here because I am non-binary, right? But I was assigned female at birth. So until I realized 
almost a decade ago now that I was trans, um, you know, I was socialized as a woman since my childhood, right? So I've been in those spaces and I kind of know how that feels. Um, and I think for me, like, I want to start by talking about intersectionality, right? So um, if listeners are unfamiliar, intersectionality is a term coined in 1989 by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who's a civil rights lawyer. Um, and it explains how kind of different pieces of our identity, race, class, gender, all of these different things overlap and they form our unique outlook and experience of moving through the world, right? So yours is going to be different than mine, than someone else's. And even if you have the exact same like list of identities, right, there's always going to be something that's different um, that impacts how you move through the world. So when I think about, you know, women and allyship, I think it's important for women to remember that there are going to be those things that unite them with other women. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's going to be those experiences that folks with different identities from them have that they may not be able to relate to. And so I think allyship starts with listening and believing those people, right? It, it tends to be, I think, our natural way to say, like, that's inaccurate because that's not how I experienced something. Um, mm -hmm. But just believing people when they talk about their experiences in the same way that you would want somebody to believe you. For sure. Uh, and I think the other thing, you know, when we talk about activism and, and DEI, we often hear the term white women tears. I don't know if if you're familiar with the term, but it's, you know, it kind of refers to how white women especially tend to center their own emotions in conversations about um, race or ethnicity or any sort of um, conversation of that kind. And it's not necessarily on purpose. It sometimes has to do with the, the guilt that people have from, you know, from not doing enough activism in their own eyes so far. Um, but I think that women need to recognize that in these spaces, they have a lot of power and the way to use it responsibly is not to shut down at those first signs of discomfort, right? But to to dive into that and take accountability for it um, and elevate other people's voices and kind of recognize when it's time for them to take a step back, right? And it's certainly a, a, a really difficult song and dance to, to get a grasp on at yeah. first, right? But I think like, you know, intersectionality also tells us that liberation for one group has a butterfly effect. And so it's not a competition, right? A win for somebody else doesn't take something away for you. It's all going to make things better. Yeah. Gosh, I love that so much. I, as, as you talk about that from, um, from a DEI perspective, I also think about the competition that women tend to have with other women, right? Just because I have success doesn't mean I'm taking away from someone else or someone else's success is not taking away from the cool things that I'm doing. And so I love hearing that in the DEI space as well, right? It, it, it transfers, it bleeds over. It's in all aspects of how we show up in this world. So that's really cool. Absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, um, gosh, I feel like uh, for our American listeners, I think that we would have to be living under a rock these days to not know that members of the LGBTQIA plus and trans communities are really under attack in our in our country. Um, and so for our non-American friends, you know, we might need to give a little bit of a, a recap, but can you talk about how both um, straight and non-straight women can be supportive in anti-LGBTQIA plus? and anti-trans spaces? Sure. Yeah. And it's a hefty question, right? Like it, yeah. it goes back to this conversation of what is an ally? What is allyship? Um, yeah. 
And I think, you know, thinking about the fact that Pride Month um, has kind of come to a close, I think in, in June of this year, I really felt that dichotomy strongly between like, as a, a trans person and a queer person, wanting to celebrate and be out and proud and also kind of fearing for my safety, right? So there are a lot of um, kind of laws and legislation happening right now that focus on trans people and really are kind of making trans people the scapegoats of a lot of political issues that, you know, that we never really asked for. Um, And I think like, you know, when I walk out in the world, if somebody makes an assumption about me based on what I'm wearing or how I cut my hair or how I ask people to refer to me, like a switch can flip and I can end up in a really unsafe situation really fast. Right. Right. And so what I personally have found to be most helpful, and I, I think I found this most strongly in my friends who are women, is when they are informed on what's been going on and they check in on me. Right. And I think that comes from this solidarity piece of like, women certainly know what it's like to walk out of the house and feel unsafe or be made to feel unsafe in many different types of situations that they never ask to be in. Right. Sure. And so I think like when my friends are, when I know that they're informed on these issues, I know that I don't have to expend more energy explaining why I'm tired or I'm scared. Um, And I know that they get that um, and they have that kind of relation to my experience. And so it means a lot to me when my friends who are cisgender, which just means not trans or aligning with the gender that they were assigned at birth, um, when they come into a space ready to advocate for me if it's needed, right? And when I feel like they've got my back, um, you know, I've been able to build a strong sense of trust with my friends, especially the ones who are women, because of that, because they consistently show up for me and I show up for them. um, And I know that they speak out against LGBTQ hate whenever they can. Gosh, Anna, that was, you're right. It's loaded, right? That was a loaded question. It's um, loaded. But I appreciate you sharing that, right? And and that is so real. And I know I have heard a lot of my own personal friends who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community talk about that dichotomy that you talked about. And so thank you first and foremost for being brave to talk about it and, and in this space. And I appreciate you sharing your story and, and your experiences. Um, it, as I think about scary, right? Like we will never understand what it's like to live in other people's shoes and and their lives. And so I don't ever want to compare one scary to another scary, but I also know that some folks are afraid of activism because of repercussions or they're just afraid of doing it wrong and, and those sorts of things. And for some folks, it comes far more naturally than others. So for those who may not be as natural of a space, but they still want to be, um, you know, an activist or speaking out for folks who they love and care for. What are some tips for getting started as an activist for marginalized communities? Yeah, um, one of my favorite things to say, and I feel like I say this all the time in in my professional job, right, working in DEI, is mm-hmm. the only way you could do it wrong is to do nothing at all, right? Mm-hmm. So you are the captain of your own journey in this space and you're the expert on what you know, right? So only you right. know or understand exactly where you sit in terms of what types of actions you want to take for others, where you want to focus your allyship or your activism. You're the one who has to drive that ship, right? Right. At the end of the day, you have to be okay with where you sit regardless of what others know about your journey, right? There's a lot of kind of discourse, especially in online spaces about what makes a good ally, you're doing this, you're not doing enough. And so you have to feel good about where you sit. 
Um, so the question is, how do you get yourself there, right? How do you feel good about it? And for me, I think it's two pieces. It's education, but then it's followed by action, right? We certainly all need to work to educate ourselves. I think that's just like a lifelong journey in general with DEI. There's always something more to learn. Um, so, you know, learn what it means to advocate for the communities you want to focus on. Um, most of the time, that means listening to folks and learning from folks who are part of those communities and and learning, you know, what they're asking for, what they, what kind of support they need. Um, so doing that research and finding a place where you can help would be the first step. But then it's about that action and that follow through, right? You're not trying to solve the world's problems overnight again, but you're you're taking consistent small actions that add up um, to to really make that impact. The other thing I like to talk about in this space is social media, um, because I know that that it can be a really great tool to learn from other activists, um, you know, to really like start getting in on the conversation, but it isn't the end all be all of activism or allyship, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's important to use it as a tool, take care in finding um, people you wanna follow whose stories or techniques speak to you. And at the same time, don't oversaturate your timeline with like a bunch of posts that you're just going to scroll past later, right? Um, so it's a great way to raise awareness, but it's not the end all be all. It still needs to be followed up with like that consistent action, finding an organization to get involved in, using your platform in other ways, donating money, calling you, calling your representatives, whatever it is. Um, but there's certainly a lot that can be like started in that space. Yeah. I love that. Social media is so powerful. It can be super harmful in some ways, but it can also be incredibly powerful in other ways. So I love that you gave some great social media tips. And then the follow-up piece, I think, is great, too. I know I have found myself um, uh, where others with similar identities to myself, when they share something, I dig into that, right? Because they, they're willing to put their brand on it. So let me go see what they're talking about, right? And it is another form of like educating myself without asking someone else to educate me necessarily, like somebody has shared it for a reason. So mm -hmm. I love that social media can be powerful like that as well. Awesome. All right. So, so continuing around some activism, what are some tips around activism and DEI work that you have for my listeners? Yeah. Um, kind of going along with what you were saying, Michelle, one of my favorite phrases is Google is free. Um, <laughs> yes, you can always yes. use Google on your DEI journey, right? No one's going to look at your search history and be like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. Like Michelle Googled, what is oppression again? Nobody's looking, right? right. So feel safe and free to use that and educate yourself um, yeah. so that it kind of takes some of the work off of the backs of those marginalized folks, right? Yeah. There are certainly a lot of marginalized people who are widely sharing their stories and that can be really impactful. And at the same time, we have to recognize that that comes with impact on those people. So mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. Google to kind of help you get started on your journey, finding books and podcasts and all kinds of things like that that already exist. There's just so much content um, you know, like we mentioned, you can get oversaturated almost, right? So it's it's about finding your kind of piece where you fit into that conversation. Yeah. Um, and so I think like really at its core, what matters is that you care about people and that you create a method for you that's consistent and sustainable to show that care to others. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to find where you fit into it. I love that. Find where you fit. I love that a lot, mm -hmm. right? 
Well, gosh, um, that was a super quick time frame of <laughs> running through all my questions. And I am sure that there's a ton more questions that my listeners have. And so um, to use your phrase, Google is free. I referred to Google recently as Dr. Google. So um, <laughs> heading out there and, and looking at some of those things, I will offer that tip to my, uh, to my listeners. But and are there any final thoughts that you have for my listeners? Yeah, I think in the whole thing, right, like I mentioned at the beginning, DEI is deeply emotional. It's entwined with the deepest parts of who we are as people, right? And so it has to be a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you can't burn yourself out thinking that you have to be the number one ally for every community. Um, you know, intersectionality is really important. And so as you dive deeper into your own personal activism or DEI journey, you'll find that some of that starts to come naturally, right? As you're learning about one group, it leads into the next and, and that kind of thing. Um, but what matters is that you keep coming back, even when things get hard, even when you're frustrated, you don't have to be perfect. No one's asking for that. But what matters is that your presence is there and that you're willing to, to learn and act accordingly to, you know, to the spaces that you're in. Yeah. That's such, that's so great. Right. And I think that so many folks feel like they do have to be perfect. So I appreciate that you just gave everyone permission to be imperfect, but, yes. but be present. Right. So I love that. I love that. Great. Yeah. And I mean, well, it's always changing, right? Like it's, yeah. there's no way to be perfect because new things come out every day that we have to continue to learn about. Even, you know, doing DEI full time in my role, it's like, I'm not, I'm by no means perfect. I'm learning every day about more and more things. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been super informative, really good stuff. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining me for this episode. I hope that uh, my listeners have also taken away some really good information and, um, and, and enjoyed this podcast as much as I have enjoyed uh, spending the time with you. So um, friends, thanks so much for joining in again this week. Um, I hope that you had some good nuggets that Anna shared during their um, information sharing and some tips and some things that might not necessarily be new, but a refresher or just a different spin on some things that you might already be doing. So this week's affirmations, I'm done apologizing for spending time focused on me. I'm done apologizing for spending time focused on others and advocating for those who may not feel like they have a voice. I'm done apologizing for stepping in it so long as I am showing up. Apologize, friends, for that. When you step in it, apologize appropriately for the um done apologizing podcast, but be done apologizing for showing up for folks. All right, friends, thanks again for showing up, for coming and joining us, and um, for spending time just work, working on you and focusing on you and, and hearing good information. I want you to go out there and have an incredible week. Do the amazing things that I know you're capable of. And remember to like, follow, and share this podcast. If you like this episode, if you love this podcast, make sure that you are liking it on and following it on the platforms that you're listening on and screenshot whatever episode you're listening to, this one, hopefully, and others that you might be really listening to. Share it with those that you feel might need the, the message or the information or just a reminder. And remember, you're fabulous. You're a badass. You've got this. 
and I'm here for you.